God's desire to tabernacle with man. Uh, now, I'll begin to read from the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. The Bible reads, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come, with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. I also read Genesis 3 verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? I also read from Agai chapter 2, verse 3 uh, to 9. Haggai chapter 2, verse 3 to 9. The Bible says, Who's left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you, is, how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is, it this not, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet, now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to this word that I have covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. And I will shake all nations, and I shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Shall we pray this morning? Our God and our Father, we are so thankful this morning, even as we come, we come with open hearts and with open minds. We thank you that, O oh Lord, you have allowed us to come this morning. Allow your grace, O oh Lord, to impart us through the preaching of your word. I thank you even for the grace of our spiritual father who is not here this morning. We want to pray for him this morning that, O oh Lord, let your grace sustain him, the grace that is sufficient. The Lord, through all situations of our life, you are God and you remain on the throne. We thank you this morning that we who are here, Lord, will continue to seek your face. We who are here, Lord, will see that which you have desired in your heart to tabernacle with man. Allow us, O oh God, to rest even as the word of God is preached this morning. Open the eyes of our understanding so that, the oh Lord, we may hear the voice, even in the voice of man. Anoint my lips this morning so that I speak only your oracles, the oracles of the word of God. Lord, I give you praise and I give you honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, I invite you to uh, go with me into scriptures and begin to look at uh, what God desires uh, in the context of how he wants to tabernacle with man. Uh, if we begin by defining the word tabernacle, we see that the word tabernacle is related to the house and the fellowship that goes on in that house. The tabernacle means the habitation, the home, the tent, the shelter. 
It is also the picture of the tabernacle. It's also the picture of the Garden of Eden where God had put the first man. Um, God is also showing us this picture, the picture of coming into Zion. This is showing us the manifest presence of God which is localized in the place of his people. We know that uh, when God manifests on the earth, we have the way that we use God is omnipresent, that God is all over the world. But this manifest presence is also in you and me, that uh, the, the presence of God is in you, is over you, is on every side of your life. Uh, the word omnipresent talks about how God dwells among his people. But we also know that the presence of God can be localized in an individual or the community of his people. And this we see in the life of Adam and Eve. It's a place where Christ is. Uh, we see the life of Joseph. The Bible says the Lord was with Joseph and Joseph was successful and prosperous. Even the man who was in prison was prosperous. When we read the scriptures that we read earlier, Hebrews 9, 11, uh, Christ as the high priest of the good things to come with greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is not of this creation. So we are talking of the tabernacle that is not created from using the hands of men, but God himself has created that tabernacle. We see Adam and Eve, uh, even when they had sins, that they heard the sound of the Lord uh, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, which signal of how God's presence was among them, even in that moment. That uh, this illustrates that God even himself was even among his people, even in that sinful state. The Bible says, but the Lord God to man, called to man, where are you? Showing that man had uh, moved from his position in terms of uh, the fellowship that he had with God. Genesis 6 to 5, Genesis 6, uh, 5 to 8 also shows us how in the earth, if we go to read the book of Genesis coming down there, uh, we see that Lord God saw how great the wickedness of human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had, I repeat that, verse 6, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, how wiped from the face of the earth the human race have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground found favor, made them. But, the Bible says in verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Other version says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That even in the moment when the world was going, moving away from God, the human race had become wicked, that God himself was troubled, there was a man who found grace in the eyes of God. The question that we ask, while the world is going around here, uh, do we find grace in the eyes of God? So there has to be a people that find grace in the eyes of God. It continues to show us this picture that even from the Old Testament as we read, we are having this title of the message that God desires to tabernacle with man. I am going to show you first point Old Testament picture uh, that gives us the tabernacle of Moses and David. Uh, number two, also the Old Testament picture that shows us the temple of Sol Solomon and Zerubbabel. Number three, uh, we are going to look at the New Testament picture of the ancient truths. 
number four, we also see man's negative response to the ancient truth. And the last one would be number five, the picture of our final destination. God's desire is to tabernacle with man. And when we see the picture of the tabernacle that God had given to illustrate himself uh, uh, fellowship with man uh, from the tabernacle of Moses to the tabernacle of David to the temple of Solomon, we begin to see that in the book of Agai chapter 2 verse 3 to 9, the Bible is telling us, showing us at who's left among you who saw this temple in its former glory. How do you see it now in comparison with it? Is this, is this is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Zadok, the high priest, and be strong, all your people of the land, says the Lord, and for work, for I am with you. According to the way that I have covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For that says the Lord of us, once more, it is in a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. I will shake all nations, and they shall all come to desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of us. Silver is mine, and God is mine, says the Lord of us. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of us. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of us. What we see is that God is going to build his house. And this house that God is building is going to be more glorious than even the former, the ones that we see in the Old Testament. And God is building this house by his spirit, as, as we read in the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, verse 6. Uh, the Bible says, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by mighty nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So God is building his church, and that church that God builds, uh, this is the place, our father is always using the book, the word ecclesia, because a church, in the context of this definition, man has misused the word church. Whenever there's a problem of church, they will say, but the church. So meaning, even the bad element is a church. Now, when we look at uh, the church that God is talking about, it's talking about the ecclesia, those who are called out of darkness, those who are called into the wonder of light. Uh, if we see the problems that we see in the world, there is a, a religion that is called church, and that is not the church we are talking about. We are talking of those who are called out, those who are walking, those who God is uh, desiring to tabernacle with. These are the people God is talking about. If we see, number one, the Old Testament picture, looking at the Old Testament picture, the first thing that we see is that the dwelling place of God, this is where God is. The dwelling place of God, this is where God is. Um, what we see is that um, many people believe that God lives in heaven, and that's a picture that we have. Uh, even when we grew up, we pointed where God is, we looked up. And uh, the truth is that heavens cannot contain our God, for God contains the heaven and the earth. Uh, when we find in the book of 2 Chronicles 2.6, the Bible says, but he was able to build him a temple, since heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. So the, the scriptures are quite clear, showing us that the, what God has created cannot contain him. What God has created cannot contain him. God created the heavens and the earth, if we read Genesis 1.1, and that shows that God is not limited by time, space, for he contains all things. And all things came out of him. 
God is not limited to the heavens, neither is God limited by the earth. His presence extends from heavens to earth. If we read Isaiah 6 verse 1, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you built for me? And where is the place of my rest? Heaven is not God's home. Heaven is the throne room of God. The throne room of God. Heaven in the city of his government. This is where God himself rules. Heaven is a place from where he rules and reigns. God is spirit, so we cannot uh, localize God in the physical form. Uh, he rules from the heavens, which is a spiritual dimension. Heaven is a throne and the earth is a footstool, showing us the earth is a place of the execution of his government. Uh, you and I, who ambassadors, are supposed to be ruling in the earth. He opens the earth, he operates the earth, he makes his dominion and rulership visible on the earth. How does he do that? He does that through you and me. We are the footstool. We are the people that are supposed to be ruling in the midst of the enemy and the earth, the world, and everything that will pass away. Here God shows us that God rules through his people who are going to execute his government in every place where they trade their feet. So you and I, wherever we are, we are called to be ambassadors. It is not only the few, those that you call uh, pastors or priests or the men of God or the papas. You, all of you are kings and priests. So wherever you are, you are supposed to be ruling. So in the Old Testament, we see God giving Moses showing us this picture. Uh, that the tabernacle of Moses was holy. This signifies God's presence in the tabernacle. Again, we see God giving David his sons and Solomon instruction to build the house. There were details of how this house, this temple, were to be uh, formulated. Again, God's presence would be captured in the temple when Jesus Christ himself is asking, he finds the people in the temple trading. He looks at it and looks at This is a different picture of how people look at the temple. Uh, but God's, the scripture shows us and promises the greater and glorious temple. And these are the things that we look at when we read the book of uh, Exodus 39, verse 32. Uh, there are quite a number of scriptures there that I will not go into. I will just sample there. Uh, Exodus 39, 32, the Bible says, So all the work on the tabernacle, the tent of meeting was completed. The Israelites did everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clubs, frames, crossbars, posts, and, and bases. 39 verse 41, that is Exodus. And the hooven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron and the priest, and the garments for his sons were, who were serving as priests. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. So Moses blessed them. So there is a picture, there is a, there's a blueprint of how God had even instructed the tabernacle of Moses to be constructed. If we read Exodus 40 verse 1 to 5, then the Lord said to Moses, set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting on the first day of the first month. Place the ark of the covenant law in it and shield the ark with a curtain, bringing the table and set out what belongs to it. 
Then bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in front of the Ark of the Covenant Law and place the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle. So what we see is Moses uh, doing exactly as God had instructed. If we read Exodus 40 verse 12, uh, he goes on to tell him, bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the meeting of, of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Wash them with water and we know what the meaning of water is. The water symbolizes the word of God. He gives them, then dress Aaron in a sacred garment, anoint him and consecrate him so that he may serve me as priest. And verse 16 says, Moses did everything just as the Lord had commanded him. So meaning there has to be a way uh, the church or the temple is constructed. There has to be a construct in the way things are done in the temple. Exodus 40, verse 33 to 36, the Bible says, Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Bible says, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, which signified God coming down to his people. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. Whenever the cloud lifted, they would move. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it is lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and by, by fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. So this signifies how the people were moving with the presence of the Lord. The question you and I, are we moving with the presence of the Lord? Are we seeing the glory of the Lord in our lives? The cloud signifies how God himself came down and was able to provide the habitation for his people. If we go to the tabernacle of David, uh, I also pull out some few truths from there. First Chronicles 15 verse 1 to 5. After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched the tent for it. If you could see that the tabernacle of David was merely a tent. That's what the Bible says here. Then David said, not one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. So David assembled all Israel in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to the place where he prepared for it and called together the descendants of Aaron and the Levites. If you go to 1 Chronicles 15, 11, then summon, uh, David summoned Zadok and Abita, the priest, and Uriel, Isaiah, Joel, Shema, Eli, Aminadab, the Levites. He said to them, you are the heads of the Levitical families. You and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves and bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place where I have prepared for it. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord, our God, broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. We did not inquire of how to do it in the prescribed way. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves first in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. 
And the Levites carried the ark of God with the paws on their shoulders as Moses had commanded them in accordance with the word of the Lord. What we see is the picture that when there was an attempt at first for them to bring the ark of the covenant in the city, they used the ox cart. Uh, this is not a prescribed way of building the church. It was a mechanized way. And Uzzah, one of the men, tried to hold the ark of the, of the covenant with his hand. And he was struck down and he died. In that, David feared. And they had to inquire of the Lord of how to do it. So there is a way of how the temple of the Lord has to be built. He goes on to show us in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 1, there are few verses that we can read there. In the interest of time, I'll pull out few. He presented burnt offering to God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. After David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of resin to each Israelite man and woman. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord. And he went on, if you read verse 7, the day, the day David finished appointing Asaph his usher to give praise to the Lord in his manner, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nation what he has done, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name, let hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. This is a praise that uh, Asaph, one of the associates, had actually been giving when the Ark of the Covenant had been brought. Just reading one more scripture there uh, about the tabernacle of uh, David, First Chronicles 16, verse 36, uh, 43. I jump, I think I start from 37. Then David left Hasaf and his associates before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister there regularly according to its day's requirements. He also left Obed-Edom and the 68 associates to minister with them. Obed-Edom, son of Jehodam, and he also, also were gatekeepers. And uh, we read verse 42, uh, Haman and Jedutham were responsible for the sounding of the trumpets and symbols for the playing of the other instruments for sacred song. The son of Jedutham were stationed at the gate. Then all the people left, each for their own home, and David returned home to bless his family. David returned home to bless his family. When we go further, the Old Testament picture also takes us to the temple of Solomon and Zerubbabel. We picture something to do with God's desire to tabernacle with man. That all these were illustrations in school we call, when we have teaching methodology, we have something that we illustrate in order to bring understanding. So God is full of wisdom even to show himself how we should understand things. Of course, spiritual things must be understood from the spiritual vantage. You cannot understand the things of God from the natural mindset. Neither can we bring the definition of how God is from our academic uh, excellence. God is spirit, and those who must worship him must worship him in truth and spirit. There are certain things that even the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, those who were highly educated, they missed even the Savior who was written in the books that they, they read. How amazing was that? That these men, they had started the Torah. The man that came to Jesus in the night was Nicodemus. 
He was a highly trained man in the, in the, in the philosophies and even in the, in the Torah, in the Old Testament laws and everything. But he misunderstood what Christ himself was telling him. That for you to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. The highly educated man with PhDs maybe in that time could not understand what Christ himself was telling him. He said, you mean I must go back in my mother's womb to be born again in order for me to enter the kingdom of God. That was quite amazing. It tells us that actually we cannot understand the things of God from our intellect. There has to be the spirit of God in us in order for us to understand. Men that were there at the time even missed the Christ who came in their time. The question we have, if Christ has to come today, can we notice him? If Christ has to visit us today, can we notice him? Yesterday I drove from 10 miles and I was coming around 1930, somewhere there. Throughout the road, I could see people gather around uh, some place. I could pass through Great North area there. Um, uh, I found it was, what, it was packed everywhere. And there was music. Young people there. Everyone there. Young men and women, and I was driving on that road. I was amazed. The Lord I could just try to show me that, of how passionate people are for the things of this world. You and I, many times we are. If there's a thing that is going on that is about the things of this world, how, often, how many people are there? That was amazing what I saw yesterday. I came, I was picking up something at East Park, and I saw there was another place where they had put up these uh, sounds. There were these screens, and everybody, I could see everyone. The Bible says, the kingdom of God has suffered violence and the violent has taken it by force. In the time when Jesus himself had come, those who were going to him were those that were attracted to him. Today, what are the things that are attracting us? Is this the presence of God in our lives or is it things that are out there in the world? Jesus is telling his people when he had been preaching in the book of John, he says, you are not of this world. I am not of this world, neither are you of this world. Though you are in the world, Jesus himself, he said, be, take, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Then he's defining what is the world. If you go and read 1 John 2, 16, says, what is in the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What attracts the people to those events, most of it is about the lust that they can get from there. Most of it is about the pride that we can get where we are. Most of it is what our eyes can see. Now, when Jesus himself had come, who were attracted to Jesus himself? Just take a picture of Luke 19. Was it Luke 19 or Luke 10? About Zacchaeus. Maybe the, my brother could help me there. Among the men that were there, it was a sinner that was attracted to him. That was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was so passionate about getting attracted to the Christ that he could, the man who was a chief tax collector could even climb a tree to see the Lord. That's how passionate he was about the Christ. Then Jesus is telling him, come down, today I'm going to dine with you in your home. Giving us a picture of how God desires to tabernacle with people. Jesus could not just stay in there. He was amazed by this man who wanted to see the Lord. Somehow he was a man of short stature like me. So he could not see the Christ. So he had to go up on the tree to see the Lord. And among them, people started, started murmuring. They started murmuring like people do, Right? People mama, they mama in their hearts. Some even openly mama. He has gone to be with a man who's a sinner. This man is a sinner. How can Christ go to his home? Then Jesus, because he could even tell what was in their hearts, he comes and says, only the sick will seek the doctor, right? If you are sick, that's when you go to the hospital. 
for this I came for that which was lost. Those that came out of the house, those who were lost away from me, those are the people that I came to. And Jesus is going to Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus, he says, this, this man is also a son of Abram. And I said, this man is not from, from the Jews. How can he be a son of Abram? But he says, look, this man, because he has sought the Lord like Abram did. He has sought the Lord like Abram did. Why do we say he's the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob is our God today? Because we do what Abram did. We do what Isaac did. We do what Jacob did. So in the time where we live today, we see the picture of the Old Testament uh, in the temple of Solomon and Zerubbabel, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. Uh, if we read there, in the 408th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Zevi, the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. He began to build the temple of the Lord. The temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long, 20 wide and 30 high. The portico at the front of the menu of the temple extended the width of the temple, that is 20 cubits, and projected 10 cubits from the front of the temple. I jump uh, from verse 7. In the building, the temple, only blocks dressed at a quarry were used, and no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was had and the temple site where it was being built. There's a place where God is chiseling his people so that they can be part of his temple. There's a place in the secret place where God is chiseling his people, fitted in the house, family of God, where God is chiseling them, chiseling them. There are stones that have to be fitted in the house of the Lord. That chiseling is quite painful. Imagine chiseling, chiseling your life, shaping you every day. These are the pains that we go, sometimes we cry. Sometimes we mourn, sometimes we complain. God is doing that in our lives individually. While we can come and stand here showing our holier disposition, there's a time when God takes us to the secret place and begins to work on our lives. In the public, we can show our posture to be holy, but there's a place where God will encounter with you. There are certain things God will begin to deal with your life. And my prayer this morning that if you have to be part of the temple, God will take you to the place where he has to chisel your life so that you have to come to a place where you can fit in his temple. If you have to be part of this temple, God has to work on your life. Here the temple that Solomon is building had the blocks dressed at a quarry and no hammer, chisel, and any other iron tool was had at the temple site while it was being built. If we jump to verse 11, the word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws, and keep all my commands and obey them. I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David, your father. And I will live among the Israelites, and I will not abandon my people Israel. Solomon built the temple and completed it. The temple was completed. Was that the end? No, there has to be a signal that God is in the presence of his people, right? If we go to 1 Kings 7 verse 48, we see the Bible says Solomon also made all the furnishings that were in the Lord's temple, the golden altar, the golden table on which was the bread of presence, the lampstand of pure God. And then if we go to chapter 8, 1 Kings 8, 1, we see that King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel. All the heads of the tribes, the chiefs of the Israelites' family, to bring up the Ark of the Lord's covenant. We know that the Ark represented the presence of the Lord. And he goes on, verse 2, All the Israelites came together to King Solomon at the time of the festival in the month of Ethnim, the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the Ark, 
and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the sacred finishing in it. The priests, the Levites, carried them up. The king Solomon, then king Solomon, and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. The priests then brought the ark of the Lord's of covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and overshadowed the ark and its carrying paws. And the paws were so long that their hands could be seen from the holy place in the front of the inner sanctuary. Verse 9, there was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with Israel after they came out of Egypt. Verse 10, when the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priest could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled this temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that you would dwell in the dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned around and blessed them. What we see is the glory of the Lord coming because the temple was built in accordance with the instruction that the Lord had given. Uh, if we move First Kings eight seventeen, David is uh, Solomon is recounting what the father had given him as instruction in the house, like we have here. Our father has given us instructions. There are times, certain times, when me as a son, I we, we want to preach something else that we've heard the latest message out there, but the Lord wants you to get stuck to the foundations of the Word of God. Sometimes we want to preach the message that we like so that people can clap for us, people can be happy, but God says, go and preach the message that I want you to speak, even if you don't know everything written there. Go and preach it. So when God sends you, God is the one that is building the church, not us. And therefore, he tells us to go and read the scripture. Let's go and read it, even if we don't understand it in its entirety. God gives us a picture of how he wants to deal with his people. In verse 21 of 1 Kings 8 says, I have provided a place there for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our ancestor. Then he brought them out of Egypt. Solomon is there praying and dedicating the temple and we see how the cloud signifying the glory of the Lord even upon the temple. If we see another temple that is building in the book of Ezra 1, Ezra 3 verse 1, I think I read, I start from 2, then Joshua son of Zadok and his fellow priest and Zerubbabel son of Sheti and his other Sheti began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice bound offering in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed bound offerings and in it to the Lord both the morning and evening sacrifices. If we go to Ezra chapter 3 verse 10, the Bible says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple, the Lord, the priests in their vestments and their trumpets and the Levites, the son of Asaph with symbols, took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and sang, thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, His good, His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the other priests and the Levites and the family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple be laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sounds of the weeping because the people made, made so much noise 
and the sound was heard from afar. We see the two company of men, the older men that had seen how the temple was from its foundation, from its uh, blueprint, and how the young people were living then, could see them, they were, they were happy. But those who were older started weeping because this temple was not constructed according to the patterns of the Lord. There is a time in our lives when we weep. There are our, 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 our patriarch, our elders could be weeping on what they see in our time. But the young people are there rejoicing. These are the two sounds you see. Because for them, it's fun. It's about good time in their lives. But there are those who are seeing the foundation of the Lord, the foundation of the temple is being destroyed. They are weeping. Then there are those who are rejoicing. Yesterday, as I was walking, it's like the Lord was giving me the heart, the, 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 the meditation of weeping on what I saw yesterday. It's like it's something that you receive as a gift in your own time if you move around. How does it make you feel when you find certain things happening in the society? Do you weep or do you just say it's okay? But there could be another generation that see the things going on the way they are. They are rejoicing and they are happy. So there has to be a sound of those who are mourning for the things that they see are going wrong in the society in which they live. In the, in the New Testament, uh, the point number three, we see the picture of the, uh, of the ancient truths. In the book of Hebrews 8, 6 to 10, the Bible says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also a mediator of better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. We see that all these we have been demonstrating. The tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle of David, the temple of Solomon, and even the temple of Zerubbabel, we see that all these could not come to the standard of even Christ himself. Why? Because man had always this insatiable appetite of running away from God. And every inclination of man was evil. God still wanted man to come close to him. God's desire was to dwell with his people while man is running away from him. So we see that God had to send his only son. The Bible says in John 3, 16, the Sunday school verse, for God so loved the world, that God still loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That this is what God himself now does, that now let me send my own son to go and become a perfect sacrifice. In verse 8, because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them out of the, and led them out of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. Why? Because they did not continue in my covenant. He says... And disregarded them, says the Lord. What they did, they disregarded the covenant. They did not continue in the ways of God. He says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After this, they says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So in the new covenant, he does not now write his his uh, commands on the tablet of stone. Now he goes to write it on their hearts and their minds. So that as they move, the presence of the Lord is with them. As they move, they, are, they have the word of God on their lips. As they move, they have hidden their, the word of God in their hearts so that they may not sin against the Lord. As they move, they are meditating on the word of the Lord day and night so that the truth of the Lord may not depart from them. Can I find time to meditate upon the word of the Lord? What time do I find from morning I'm in the office? 
up to 17 hours. There could be a time you're driving in your car. That could be the time when you can meditate upon the word of the Lord. There could be time when you're at lunch. You can find time to meditate upon the word of the Lord. It's a morning time when you wake up and read the words, the scripture that our Father sends to us from Monday to Saturday. They are there to guide you so that you can begin to meditate upon the word of the Lord. So that you don't just wait for one morning Sunday, one hour. That is not enough. That you have to seek the Lord all the time, in the evening, in the morning. Luke 9 verse 28 gives us a picture Luke 9, 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as flashing of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. Here was a glorious moment, signifying the presence of God, even upon his son, that now the glory of the Lord is now on the sun that now is showing them this picture. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared, talking with Jesus. They spoke about this departure which was about to bring to fulfillment. Peter and his uh, companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully aware, they saw his glory and two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus, uh, Jesus Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone that at this time what they had seen. God was trying to show even the three that had gone with the Lord that actually there was something about this man. He is the son of the Lord. He is the son of the living God. He is the one now that we must begin to listen to. There were pictures of the Old Testament, the law, and the prophets. All of them were talking about this man. He's showing that everything you saw, everything you read in the Old Testament, were all pointing to this man. Therefore, this is the man that you now must begin to listen to. He goes on and tells them, as he had been showing them these truths, Jesus was introducing the truth to them. Gradually, he did not offload everything in one day, just like we cannot do that in one hour. Jesus was showing them that in Mark, Matthew 16, 30, Matthew 16, 13, uh, I think we'll start with 13. When Jesus had come to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He was asking them individually. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Some were describing Jesus to be the John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But then he asked them, why everyone else is saying things about me? Then he says, but what about you? So there has to be a time where our rumor of who Christ is uh, does not have to be what people say Christ is. It has to be the revelation that we have received from him. Here he asked them, say, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. 
and whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. Then he ordered disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. He told them, don't tell anyone that I was the Messiah because he had not yet finished the work that he was called to come. Now what we see is the revelation that Peter himself, who was always quick to speak, but at this time he was accurate. He was saying, you are the son of a living God. Uh, Jesus is telling him, no, Peter, look, no one had, you did not just get that from, from man or from your intellect. This was revealed to you by my father. So we, as we come to know the Lord, as we come to know what he desires, God himself has to reveal himself to us. There has to be a place where God himself reveals himself to us that even all the preaching, the investment that happens even when we come here every day, we have to have a personal encounter with the Lord, with the word that has been preached here, which becomes a foundation for what we become. There is a word that is being preached here. The word of God, which is in the Bible, is uh, logos. It is just the, the written word. Sometimes we, we have heard of people getting the Bible and sleep on it on the pillow to think that then they can get the substance of what is written in the Word. The Word of God has to be proceeding. It has to be a river that is flowing. The Word of God has to be spoken. The Word of God has to be at a particular time when God himself by his Spirit he brings out the Word that he brings to us. Many days, many Sundays that have come on this pulpit, our Father is preaching, he has to sit in the night. Yesterday I was, share, I was trying to prepare in the night. I don't know what time I slept. But then I'm looking at the time of when that word is preached, the word has to come and become flesh in our lives. He was the word that came, that the word that was spoken, the word became flesh and dwelled amongst us. Jesus himself, who is the word, became flesh and became the embodiment of God. That word that is spoke to us now, we also have to become the word. We have to become the light because the light that came through his word, he himself is the light, we also become the light. He himself is love, we also become love. He himself is peace, we also have peace. That is what God wants us to become. That even this temple that we are talking about is the temple, the place where God himself dwells. If we read the book of uh, here, Luke 24, 25, now Jesus had been teaching them and now the time when he had died, he had now risen, and the disciples were disoriented. He had invested himself in their lives. You can also imagine that so much of what has been preached to us, sometimes we still doubt. Sometimes we still ask questions, right? Sometimes we have difficulties. We can't apply the word of God that has come to us many times. There was the other day I was in class, and I was teaching. I do lecturing in the evenings. So I am teaching, and I think I repeated the point three to four times because it's very important. And I repeated uh, and I also knew that there was this student who was on the phone throughout, and I saw him. So after I finished, and I said, I'm going to be asking questions. So this student wanted to be clever by asking me the question before I could ask a question. Then he asked me a question. Then I asked the friends, I said, look, did you, did you remember at that point he's asking, how many times did I repeat? Uh, I asked him, how many times did I repeat? He was not answering me. Then I asked the lady who was next to him, how many times did I repeat? He said, five times. I heard you say five times. Then I say, do you know what you were doing? You were on the phone. You are not paying attention. I'm not going to answer your question. So right now, I'm going to give you a test so that I mark what you have laid, right? So meaning, in our lives, there has to come a time when God tests that which you've heard. We have to pay attention to what God is giving us. There has been a lot of investment. There has been a lot of resource. Our, our Father goes on even to have what we call, we have corporate gathering where other men come and preach to us, right? He brings the gifts from all over the world. He has given us. The, the question is, what do we become after that? 
What do we become after that? Are we going back to the basics? We are going back to the milk? Do we not have to go to the, to the meat of the word of God so that we begin now to extract that which God has for us even in his word? So when Jesus now is moving with them, they had risen, they had not known him that he was a Jesus that was walking with them. Uh, Luke 24, he said to them, how foolish you are. That's what he told the disciples. I think you could get annoyed. Somebody tells you you're foolish, and I think we get annoyed, right? Somebody tells you you're foolish. But Jesus is what he just told them, that how foolish you are. Well, if somebody tells me you're foolish, sometimes there's that part of you that does not want that, right? But Jesus is telling us the truth. Our father was preaching about grace and truth. The truth of the word of God will tell us who we are. Even if we get annoyed, we must be offended in order for us to change and transform that which is in us. To expose that which is in us, we get annoyed. Jesus telling how foolish you are and how slow you believe all the, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. I'm not telling you are foolish. Please uh, don't take me. Uh, somebody said uh, many times people pick what was not preached and they talk about it. I'm not preaching that. I'm just giving an example. And the word of God says that, huh? Don't talk about, let's not say what was not preached. He is just saying, Jesus said, how foolish you are, and thou slow to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And what did Jesus do? Verse 27, 24, 27. And beginning with Moses, that's what Jesus did. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Concerning himself. What was in the scripture from Moses to the prophets was concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued only as if he was going with the feather. But they urged him strongly because they were passionate about what he was telling them. And then stay with us for it is nearly evening. That day is almost over. Jesus went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him as he disappeared from their sight. At that moment, when they were walking with him on the road, they did not know him. So there had to come a time when Jesus himself had to open their eyes so that they could see him. So the question is, what we become in God is not our effort. Christ himself, as we seek him, he begins to open our eyes, even to the next level of what he wants us to see. So desire that in your personal lives. Desire, let's desire that as a body. Let's desire that as a family. Let's desire that as a church to know that which God is telling us, to know that which is written in his word. The church is the body of Christ. It's the bride. It's the Zion. It's a God's dwelling place. It's a picture of the temple. It's a picture of the ark of the it's a picture of the tabernacle where God Himself dwells. In fact, if you read the book of Acts 15, uh, if you read verse 15, chapter 15, Acts 12, the whole assembly became silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and the wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they had finished, James spoke, brothers, he said, Listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. So what Moses was preaching, what the prophets were preaching, what other men came were all in agreement what Jesus himself was telling them. So the word of God from Genesis to Revelation is in agreement. There's no way the word of God does not agree. If we are disagreeing, it's only ourselves we are disagreeing with what the word of God says. So he says, he continues, he says in verse 16, after this, 
I'll rebuild, I'll return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I'll rebuild and I'll restore it. The rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, said the Lord who do this, who does these things. If you read the book of First uh, Corinthians 3, verse 16, he now brings out something. He now says, while we've been talking about the temple, the building, the tabernacle of Moses, uh, David, we talk about the temple of Solomon, uh, Zerubbabel. Now, let me bring it home. He says, First Corinthians 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Now, they say, now we become the God's temple. He says, you yourselves are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. He says, don't you know that you are God's temple? And God's spirit dwells in your midst. So if you destroy that temple, God will, be, will, be, God will destroy that person. So together we are God's temple. Together as a body of Christ, we are God's temple. Uh, when we talk about the body of Christ, we are not basically talking about ourselves here. They're all over the world today, people are sitting together, seeking the face of God, all the nations of the world. 2 Corinthians 16, uh, 6.16 says, 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will live with them and walk among them. How be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. So God is talking about consecration, how we must come out from among them. The world which is there, which I saw yesterday, God is saying, come out from among them. That is not your place. That is a place where people are going far away from God. There's a place where God is calling you to come so that your heart may be strengthened, may be renewed, so that you can be taken to the next level. And he says, Verse 18, and I'll be a father to you, you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. If we go to the Old Testament, I think there are some scriptures in the interest of time, time has run out for me. There are some scriptures we find in terms of the reforms of uh, Nehemiah. What we see in the life of Nehemiah was a time when there was reforms, the walls of Jerusalem were broken, and God, and God had given the passion to Nehemiah to try and rebuild the walls. In Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 23, the Bible says, Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashwood, Hamon, and Moab. These are the tribes God had forbidden them to marry from. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashwood and the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of God, the language of Judah. So, and I rebuked them. I called cases down on them. That's what Nehemiah was saying. And he says, I beat some of them. I'm not saying you should beat people. I beat some of men, and I pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for you sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like this that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like Solomon. He was loved by his God. He's a, he's a man that built the temple, right? And the glory of the Lord uh, fall, fell down on him. But he's a man that went away from God. He says he was loved by his God, and God him made king over Israel. But even he, even he, he was led into sin by foreign women. Amazing. A man who had sought God's wisdom. He was led away from God. 
Must we hear now that you too are doing the same terrible wicked things and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Johad, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was a son-in-law to Stanabalat, the honorite. I drove him away and from me. One of the sons of the priest also went and did that. He was drove, driven away. He was chased. He was, uh, he was uh, what word can I use? He was actually uh, excommunicated. Maybe that's the word I would use there. He was communicated. He says, come out from among them. In Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 9, from the reforms of Nehemiah, we see uh, 13, 9 says, I gave orders to purify the rooms. Then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portion assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is it that the house of God is neglected? Why is it that the house of God is neglected? In their pursuit of God, one of the things that they did was to make sure the house of God was resourced. They gave. They gave money. Not a little money, right? Money. Some places where you go, people have offering, offering bags. So when people are going there, they put in even coins. I, I was attending a church one day, and they were announcing the offering. Actually, they announced afterwards. Then they're saying yesterday our offering was 225 kwach. Then I, I was looking at the group, the people were there were many. Then I said, but 225 kwacha, that's the offering? I said, oh, then outside there were big cars. Big cars. Today, if you go, outside there were big cars, man. Big cars. If you go to the filling station for you to drive one liter, you have to put 2,000 kwacha in the, in the tank for you to drive, right? Yeah. Offering was 225 kwacha. The whole church. Then I saying, this is amazing. <laughs> I say, this is amazing. Because one of the things I could do, my profession is accountancy. One of the things we do in accountancy, we audit. I can just pick one lady, I say, come here. I start asking, how much is your air star? Say, oh, Brazilian, how much? 2,500 kwacha. How much did you pay that, uh, what do you call those? The Maasai men. How much did you pay them? 500 kwacha to do. That is how much? 3,000 kwacha for one person, right? Then I asked them, show me about that shoe you have. How much did you pay in that? In that? They said, 2,500 for this shoe. That dress that you have, how much did you buy the Safik dress there? How much did you buy the six meters? No, I spent something like 3,000 kwacha. Then you tell me the offering was 225 kwacha? Really? <laughs> Ask your neighbor, Really? Really? I said, guys, we, we, we are joking. We are joking, right? We are joking because, and, and then we are complaining about us. Oh, this thing has not been done. How much do we give? Yes? Because they are, in the Old Testament, what do we see? The gatekeepers, the musicians, they were paid, right? I don't know. I'm not saying, brother, you should be paid. I'm saying, those, they were paid. They, it was coming from the coffers of the church they were being paid because they dedicated their lives. They came in the ministry. They were there together trying to do ministry. Here he says, and he says, this is what these men were doing. Now, I have no time I would have wanted to continue. I just want to bring this to the end. There's something about man's negative response to the ancient truth. What we see is, in the book of Mark 11, 15, uh, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. 
and he would not allow them to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, it is not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. What is prayer? My house will be called a house of prayer. The, prayer, the place of prayer is a place where we seek God, right, in our lives. The place of prayer is the place where we, we are bringing our supplications. The place of prayer is a place where our hearts are deposed to what God wants us to do in our lives. The place of prayer is the place where now business was carrying on. It's where now they were, in the temple, they were ch changing uh, business uh, transactions and everything. So Jesus came, the Lamb of God came. What did he do? He got a whip. And he wept the people that were there. Imagine, Brother Bernard, he was weeping the people. Weeping them. I could see them running away. <laughs> They were running for their lives. Because Jesus was so passionate about the temple of God. Because this temple, see the temple that has been shown, the temple of Moses, the tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle of David, the temple of Solomon. What did we see? It's a place which was fearful to go into. They were bringing the offerings, the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord came. It was a place which you could fear. But these people now, the temple that was there now, is a place where they put even the merchandise. They are showing the temple of God with contempt. Jesus comes with a whip. He's whipping them. I don't know what God would do now today to whip people because he will not physically come. But it's the way God does it. He comes now. In the book of Jeremiah, you see the same posture uh, there. Jeremiah 7, 9, he says, Will you steal and murder, commit adultery, perjury, burn incense to bar, and follow other gods you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe. He says, self to all do these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? He says, but I've been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling place for my name and see what I did to, to, to it because of wickedness of my people. He continues to tell them. In Acts 19, we see how uh, contempt, showing contempt to the things of God has consequences. Our father was talking about grace and truth the other Sunday. And uh, while we have a picture of grace, grace upon grace, we receive a resource of grace from him, and God himself is, shows us favor in every area of our lives, there's the truth of the word of God. First John 1, 7, 8 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Right? The word is, uh, uh, John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by your truth, for your word is thy truth. So what is the truth? The word of God. The word of God in us helps us even to come to a place of repentance. Helps us to come to a place where we see we are wrong. We are not living our lives right. Here in Acts 19, 11, uh, where God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and the illness were cured, and the evil spirits left these people. So some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits also tried to the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish uh, chief priest, were doing this. One day, one day, tell your neighbor, one day, the, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. It's like, Pastor Reuter, I know, and everyone I know. Then he says, but who are you? Who are you, right? Then he says, he gave them such a beating 
that they ran out of their house naked and bleeding. That's what the word of God says. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in honor. What do we have to do? We have to hold the name of the word of God, the name of Jesus in honor, not to show contempt. God himself arises. This was in the New Testament time when these things happened. And this was at a time, at a place where God's presence was in the midst of this company of prophets who were preaching in that time. That these men started to dishonor the name of the Lord, trying to mimic what these uh, apostles were doing. And they made their day. They made their day. The last uh, point that I have to quickly uh, finish. What is a picture of our final destination? What is a picture of our final destination? If we see the book of Revelation gives us John is being told, come up higher. God wants to show him what is to come. And uh, the greatest event that most Christians are looking forward to is going to heaven. There's so much obsession in the mainland church that this has even become idolatry to Christians. The church uh, story here reminds us of a woman who married a very rich man only for the mansion. She wanted to live in that mansion. Many more are concerned about the mansion in heaven than the man in the mansion. There's a place that God wants to dwell in us, not the things that God has given us. What is there out in the world? You saw Jesus when he was tempted. What was one of the temptations that Jesus had? The devil showed him, took him to the mountain and showed him the kingdom of this world. If you walk out there like I saw yesterday, I could see the kingdom of this world. Like in Osaka today, you can see lights up there, right? When you're driving in the night, right? God is showing you, these are the kingdom of this world, the riches and everything that is there. Then the, the devil was telling Jesus, I'll give you all these things if you just kneel down before me and worship me. How many people are worshiping the devil out there? So that they can receive the glimpse of the kingdom of this world. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. There's another scripture I can't just pick out from the New Testament. It says, he who is born of God overcomes the world. So you and I, the battle we have is to overcome the world. The world there is calling. It's calling on every one of us. But God is also calling. He says, I desire to dwell with you. I desire to live amongst you. And he says in the book of Revelation 21, he says, Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, we're talking about the tabernacle. The tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be my people. God himself will be with them and their God. So today we struggle with the truth of what the tabernacle of God, what the temple is. There's something tangible. We say it's something we can touch. How does Christ himself become a reality for us in terms of him becoming that which he shows us? How exactly is the dwelling place of God? Revelation 3.11 says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. I'll write on them the name of my God and the name of the seed of my, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven for my God. And I'll also write on them my new name. Whoever hears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The last scripture, Hebrews 12, 18, says, You have not come to mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloomy, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to a, such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further would be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If, if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. It was a 
sight of the glory of God when Moses had come face to face that he was trembling with fear. That actually in the Old Testament, to come face to face with God, they, there, was a, there was a notion that you died, right? So people feared to come to the face, face to face with God. Here now he calls, he says in verse 22, but you have come to heaven in joyful assembly. To the, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to the thousand upon thousand of heaven in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God the judge of all. The spirit of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus mediator of a new covenant. To the sprinkled blood that speaks a better uh, word than the blood of Abel. 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. So this morning, as I've been uh, preaching this morning, uh, I've been bringing out the point how God desires to tabernacle with man, uh, bringing the picture of the Old Testament, the tabernacle of Moses and David, the tabernacle of Solomon and Zerubbabel, the new truths that are found in the, Testament, the New Testament, which are the ancient truths, I've also been showing you the man's negative response to the ancient truth. And also how we have to come to a place where we picture our final destination. Christ himself becomes our final destination. So this morning, when we come to the place of Zion, which we have come to, we have to show those traits. We have to leave people who are victorious. We have to be people who have overcome us. We have overcome the world. If Christ lives in us, we have to go and overcome the world. If Christ lives in us, we have to be people who are peaceful. If Christ lives in us, we have to be people who speak with gracious words. If we have to be people who are living in Zion, we have to be people who are not walking defeated. There are so many things that can defeat us in this world. But Christ said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Shall we stand as we close in a word of prayer this morning?